This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. My head exploded when this happened because it, it, was, it was just such a wonderful feeling to, to see how excited and how what a sense of achievement that these, these ladies had from just doing this. If you think of the perfect blend of generosity and philanthropy in the food world, one woman you should think of is Anne Ogden Gaffney. This chef and award-winning cookbook author is also founder of the extraordinary nonprofit Cook for Your Life, which brings the worlds of culinary and nutrition together. Classes and recipes in both English and Spanish help more than 150,000 people monthly in a variety of communities to nourish themselves with style and grace. Coming up, you'll hear how two cancer diagnoses transformed Anne from fashion industry star to a force of advocacy in food and wellness, why the idea of a one-woman kitchen connects so strongly for her, and how a minestrone soup her grandmother made, which she calls jungle soup, informs almost everything she does. This is her inspiring story. In the vast culinary landscape we share, we are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us, in our own way, is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Anne Ogden Gaffney, I am so thrilled that you're here with me today. I couldn't wait for this conversation. We met a while ago. You were being honored at a fantastic dinner in your honor at uh, David Boulay. It was a really star-studded night, and that was the first time I learned about you. And I said, how come I don't know Anne Ogden Gaffney better? Because... I am often wowed by the generosity and the philanthropy of women in the food world, but you take the cake. So welcome. <laughs> well, thank you for that. It's a great intro. Thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. So you really were a, a star in another industry altogether. You were in the fashion industry for 30 years. You lived in Paris for 12 years, and you were a design director and, and design consultant for some of the most important fashion houses in the world. That's true, yeah. Yeah, and then you became a chef. Tell us about that journey. That's really why you're here today. <laughs> well, all my life, I've always got into things by accident. My hobbies have become my work and then become my passion, if you like. And it was the same really for with the fashion thing because I studied painting and fine arts and and I used to make my own clothes and I sort of ended up, you know, making things for friends and then it got seen by an editor at English Vogue and then I was ended up in this sort of workshop environment. Then I got talent scouted by a French company, Cacherelle in Paris, and the rest, as they say, is history, you know. <laughs> I I ended up in Paris. I meant to go for like six months. I ended up staying 12 years. Um, extraordinary. It was extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is uh, kind of the fantasy that I think we all hope for, that we'll just do our thing and, and, and be discovered. But in fact, in fact, you were. So uh, you lived in Paris. And then what made you kind of leave the fashion world and embrace food well, after Paris, I came here to the States and, you know, that was, you know, a very different world. But what really made me change, I think, was the cancer diagnoses, quite honestly. It, I had, it was like, I had one that kind of flashed across across my bowels, uh, like 2001, and then another one uh, in 2005. The, the first one in 2001 was sort of a situation whereby I had surgery. I mean, I love it when I say this. I, they only removed my right kidney and then I was okay, right? You know, uh -huh. so I felt, oh, yeah, this is great. I've dodged a bullet. And I kind of carried on as before. But then the second one wasn't, I wasn't so lucky. I had a triple negative breast cancer diagnosis. Mm. And for that, they had to throw everything at it, including the, uh, had surgery, I had chemo and I had radiation. Wow. And all the things I thought I'd avoided the first time around. And so I remember quite clearly, you know, I was 
I just finished a job. I, you know, I used to do consulting and I just finished this big job. Um, and I was up for another, another one. And I just had my first chemo and I still had my hair and everything. And the woman who was talking to me, she knew me. She said, Hi, Anne, how are you? And mm. as I sat there in front of her, I realized for the first time that I wasn't okay, uh-huh. that I wasn't going to be able to do this, that um, I needed to take a break and just take care of myself. So I told her what was going on. And then I, I, I stopped working at that point. Yeah. And then what happened? <laughs> well, and then what happened? So, and then what happened was that, you know, I started getting into the treatment and I started to go to support groups. I'm not a particular joiner in in that sense of of the word. I had a a kind of a community because at that time I was uh, as part of a sangha, a Zen Buddhist sangha in in the city. But when you're going through something like this, there are things that happen to you, and you can't talk to your friends about it. You certainly can't talk to your loved ones about it because they get upset mm. because mm, they're having to watch you. They're, they're having to watch you go through all of this anyway. And so I started to go to support group at Gilda's Club. I have to oh. give them a shout out. They're, fa- they're a fantastic organization. At Gilda's Club, I met all of these other kind of fellow travelers, if you were. And it was great. We could, we'd have gallows humor. We could laugh. We could say things which would have made my husband sort of faint. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but it was, it was kind of good. It was cathartic and everything. And we didn't talk about cancer all the time. We'd talk about movies sometimes and, you know, or but you knew whatever. you needed this because I knew obviously I this. you are really a take charge leader kind of person. And I can really appreciate that joining a group was not necessarily your thing. But then then, then it was. It was essential for you. It was essential, absolutely essential. And then if anybody asked me what to do, you know, if they who has a diagnosis, I say join a group. Doesn't matter who it is. Because I, I know it helped me enormously. And it helped sort of you know, make things more normal, if you like, because one of the things that's, that's kind of amazing about this experience, especially as a woman, you know, and I, I like, like everybody else, I was thinking, oh, I'm getting old, look at my face, you know, all these lines and You're wrinkles beautiful. and things and things like that. <laughs> well, thank you. But it's nothing, there's nothing like it than having life change everything, all of a sudden waking up one morning and you've got no hair mm. and having to deal with another version of yourself. Yes. Really profound. And it was a transformation, if you like. I had a friend who, who's a really good friend who's a hairdresser, and he got me a couple of wigs. In the end, I never wore them. But he said, Anne, you've got to do a strong brow. He said, otherwise your face is just going to go on forever to the back of your head. Aww. And I thought, okay, stop, brows. And, but, you know, but it's just stuff like that and, and laughing, basically, you know, yes. learning to laugh in these sort of kind of crappy circumstances. And when I was in this group, you know, I have always cooked. I've always cooked. I love doing it. I've always, you know, I was the kind of person who would come home from work and make dinner for 12 people. <laughs> That's not, not so easy to do. You really have to have the instinct and intuition to even know how to pull that off. I know. When I Sometimes <laughs> when I think about it, I'd literally go to, you know, I'd, I was going to be on the Upper West Side. I'd go to Fairway on my way from work and I'd drag all the stuff up, you know, five floor walk up. And then, and then you know, I cook and then people show up and then, you know, that was it. But there were certain things, you know, that when you get into, get into the chemo, there's a kind of a, a rhythm to things. You, you know, you feel you have the infusion. The day after, you start to feel horrible. Mm, that's what then I you, hear. Then you're even more horrible. And then you gradually start to feel better until you start all over again. So what I used to do, I realized that preparedness was all in this thing and that there were certain things I liked. And I would prepare them when I was feeling great. I would make them, put them in the freezer and so cooking became almost like a meditation for you. It yeah, was very abso- absolutely. Yeah, nourishing and yeah, literally and figuratively. Literally and figuratively. Yes. Because my husband's no cook, you know. I mean, there's a couple. <laughs> there's a couple of things he can make, but that's not his thing. And so, you know, I was prepared, and things happen like your taste changes. So, you know, things that you you love, all of a sudden, t- you know, t- kind of turn to ash in your mouth, and and mm. it and you. You know, the worst thing you can do is to, is to keep eating it in the hope that something's going to change because it doesn't. It just gets, you know, so you end up, you know, getting real aversion. I, I liken it to sort of those times when you're young and you're stupid and you drink too much of like a certain drink and you can never drink it again because it made you feel so ill. It's, That's how I feel about scotch. 
Me too. High five. Like, okay. I, can't, I can't even look at it. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because I once was the national spokesperson for the Scotch Whiskey Association. And... Um, that was very challenging for me to talk about it in a very kind of positive way when I had that experience, right? <laughs> well, funny. It was funny. It's just funny. So, I mean, that's my sort of like, well, how could sling things together? But um, it's also, to, you know, I started to, at the group, you know, we'd talk about stuff and I was, I would started to share what worked for me. And, you know, I had a little roof garden at the time. It was my haven and I was growing lots of herbs and stuff up there. Was this the five-floor walk-up? Yeah, yeah. With the roof right garden. under the roof, yeah. Beautiful. It was pretty nice. And so what I'd do is, you know, I'd, I'd get, you know, pigment that I had up there and I'd put it in. I'd just have all these, you know, flasks in the fridge infusing with mint and, and stuff. And I'd make tea with lemon peel, mm-hmm. something I'd learned to do in Italy um, because I couldn't bare lemon juice it just tastes disgusting but the actual lemon oil that's in the piss yes essential oils and i think they call that drink a canarino canarino it's exactly right? what they call yes, it because yes. the yellow color like yeah. a canary like a yes. canary and and it and it gets it picks up a color mighty quick too you know i mean you just you don't need much you just it's the color of the blouse you're wearing today it is i'm a little canarino <laughs> today um but you know giving people tips like that because Unless you cook, unless you do this, I, I kind of live and breathe it. You don't think about this. You just think, oh, that's disgusting. What am I going to do? You know. Mm. And the thing is, even water tastes horrible when it, during chemo. It can taste very bitter, minerally metallic. oily, mm. metallic. And you, you know, and so, you know, it's just it's learning to avoid the things that you want to, to keep liking and changing changing up the things that you do in fact it's a time to experiment which i always try and tell people now right and you approached it like a new fashion trend like a new trend yeah mm. <laughs> well how long was this process though um because what we're going to get to of course is the extraordinary organization that you started called cook for your life yes and uh, you have an award-winning cookbook and you've won many awards and you have influenced now hundreds of thousands of people who have had cancer and you have taught them how to cook and nourish themselves in the most extraordinary way possible and to learn to love it and to love themselves and to be healthy and stay healthy and really celebrate life. I don't know anyone else who has done this single-handedly, and So let's start. Uh, so you had this diagnosis the second time when you had to endure the chemotherapy and the radiation and when food was really starting to taste awful and you needed to eat. So when did you, like, what's the first thing that happened and how did you start the organization? Well, the first thing that happened was that somebody gave me a cookbook. You know, uh, my my brother-in-law actually sent me from England this cookbook and it was about, you know, it was for cancer patients. And I opened it up and there was a soup recipe there and it had like, 15 ingredients to cut up and I just shut it I, you know because <laughs> that turned you off immediately yeah right? because you know you're tired you know yes. you don't have a lot of energy right. and also then at the support group you know people would talk about how they'd been to see the nutritionist and the nutritionist had said oh you need to eat more leafy greens or you need to do this blah 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 and most of them all they could do was pick up the phone and dial in or you know now they would be you know be on one of the apps they weren't eating it's new york they weren't eating they were cooking basically right. and i realized and we're talking about 15 years ago yeah we're talking this, we're, yeah. we're talking yeah this is i uh, this i started this finally you know, got it off the ground in like 2007 but you know but it's really things have changed a lot now but at that time there was nothing like it and also the doctors were not into um Health and nutrition. And health and, and health food. and nutrition. For them, it was merely recreational. It was. It was. It wasn't a necessity. And a lot of the uh, nutritionists, uh, the oncology nutritionists, don't really have a lot of time. They're, they're looking after the sickest people. Mm. So you know, and also a lot of them are very um, clinical. They know their chemistry, but they don't know their cooking which is unfortunate because cooking and chemistry do go together to a certain degree. But it's not necessarily that they're scientists, not artists in that with the food, if exactly. you like. Exactly. There is a few who aren't, but, who, who, you know, but as, as a rule, no. That gap may be closing, I think. But, it is. But I, but I hear you. So people who go to school, it used, they used to be 
dietitians, right? And now yeah. they're called nutritionists. But I do think these worlds are coming together. The same with doctors, appreciating the fact that food is medicine, right? Ooh. And uh, good food is really a very important part of, of being healthy and, and getting healthy. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, it is. And it's also, you know, when you're going through a cancer treatment, it's something that you can control what you eat, because you really find yourself having to give up a lot of control over over your body to your medical team. And, you know, you're, you're, you're endlessly poked, prodded and stuck with things. Mm. And, and there are things you can do, things you can't do. And then all of a sudden, food, that's something that you can you know, hold on to, right. if you like. And look forward to. And look forward to. Yes. So get, going back to the cookbook, so you saw this recipe, uh, soup with 15 ingredients. Well, I, and I thought to myself, you know, I looked at it and I, re- I obviously didn't stop there. I did leaf through it, but, you know, and I suddenly thought, I know what to do. I, I already cook better than this. And that's, you know, it's one of those things, you know, when you just do something because you like it, you don't think of it as, uh, well, I didn't think of it as, uh, as a skill, Ironically enough, now I, I know it's a real, a real skill. And not everybody has it. And not everybody do. has it. You know, not everybody can just do it. You know, I, I, I thought to myself, hmm, this, you know, something needs to be done here. But, you know, it was just kind of a thing at the back of my mind. And I had some kind of buddies who I used to go out with. And we used to, <laughs> we used to hit the, the spicy food restaurants because, you know, those things would like blast, your, you know, your taste buds, which were also... So you had a craving for a spicy oh, food. Oh, gosh, yeah. Wonderful. I mean, you know, <laughs> this this is the thing. And you, you realize as you're going through this that if you're a caregiver, you're thinking, oh, I've got to, you know, I, I must be careful what I make and this. The patient is like, God, I need to just get this taste out of my mouth. So you're thinking, let's go and have, you know, some Korean kimchi. Let's have hot Mexican, you know. <laughs> Perfect. It's not quite what you think. Well, this is, you know, obviously very new to me. I have had cancer, but did not have the experience of chemo and, and radiation. So, and so you're starting to cook, you're, you're getting some instincts that this is something that might be really helpful to other people. Yeah. So, so what came first, the organization, the, well, the idea, obviously. And- what, what came, I tell you what happened to me. You know, I had this friend and and she was at a different hospital to me. And she said, you're a natural for this, you know. And she said, I'm going to introduce you to this patient navigator where I work. And she's really great. And because she wants to do cooking class, you could organize that for her. Mm. At the hospital? At the hospital, yeah. And then I met this up through this, this girl was one of those connector people. Um, anyway, long story short, we ended up going to ICE when it was still on 23rd Street. And, you know, we started to... You know, we put a, we put this class together, and I worked with the chef that they they you know put on my case actually, which was this guy Peter Burley, who's oh who, yeah, he's yeah. a wonderful cook he's a, wonder, and a wonderful, he's wonderful cook author yeah absolutely, and he he had experience of this from you know from from taking care of people with AIDS, so you know we kind of hit it off and worked out you know these 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 uh, stations menus for the stations, and it was all very fancy and all of this <laughs> um, at the time. What I did not expect was watching these women who really thought they couldn't boil an egg, which is quite difficult, by the way. I agree. Uh, <laughs> you know, who, who really felt that, you know, that they couldn't do anything, mm. make this meal. and Plus, it's a very vulnerable time for them as well. Very, yeah. And most yeah. of them would just had just come out of treatment or were like a maybe a couple of, you know, like six months into survivorship and they were still, you know, wrestling with what had happened to them. So coming there, they there they were. They made this meal, and they and there they have these captains at ICE who would just sort of make these beautiful buffet tables, and and it was just extraordinary to see what happened. They were so excited, and I have to admit, I just my head exploded when this happened because it it was it was just such a wonderful feeling to to see how excited and how what a sense of achievement that these these ladies had from just doing this so wonderful thing it was wonderful and I thought that's what I want to do well uh and I can see why you were chosen I feel like you were really chosen to do this in the world and and the woman who we can't really remember her name who said that you are the one to um do this work and to inspire and encourage other women I get it 
So yeah. when we come back, I do want to hear a little bit about where you grew up um, and how you became so intuitive and instinctive about food and became so confident. That's really what I'm hearing, a lot of confidence in the kitchen. So when we come back, we'll hear a little bit about your um, childhood and then again, much more about Cook for Your Life, Cook for this your extraordinary life. organization and your cookbook. Here's a cooking tip to share. This one from my guest, Anne Ogden Gaffney. I don't throw things away. Not, you, nothing should go to waste in a kitchen. So if you are making a vegetable soup and you've got lots of peeling, don't put them in the trash. Put them in a pot, cover them with water and make vegetable stock. This, it's this kind of thing you can do. If you have a roast chicken, don't throw the bones away. Put them in a pot, put in an onion, put in a carrot, make chicken stock. You know, you, there's, there's a lot that is a continuum in a kitchen. So that's, that would be my thing. Just don't throw stuff away. From Anne's Kitchen to yours, give it a try and pass it along. And so we've covered a lot of territory already. So just just to recap, you were in the fashion world, uh, living in Paris, you know, a great, fabulous, glamorous life. You were told that you had cancer. You survived that. And then you had another more major cancer diagnosis. Your life, kind of your career in fashion, you decided it was time to stop and to really maybe pay attention to what was most meaningful to you. And you were really going through a lot of uh, treatments and they were grueling and difficult. And you were put on this earth, I think, to really help other women, I guess, specifically deal with their own cancer diagnoses and learn how to eat healthfully and love it. So you started an organization, right, called Cook for Your Life. And you are one fabulous, intuitive cook. So let, let's go back to your childhood a little bit. Where, where were you born? Well, I was born in Brighton in uh, Sussex, England, which is a seaside town. Who's in your kitchen? Tell me about <laughs> your childhood memories. What are well, you smelling no, and there, eating? There were a lot of people in my kitchen um, because my dad was, uh, he was a master baker and we had a bakery. Oh, no kidding. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, okay. The pieces okay. are coming together. <laughs> yeah. So as a kid, I'd play you know, on the flour sacks and do all of this stuff and run around like loonies, you know, in there <laughs> when he let us. My mum, uh, her family are all Italian. And, and where, where in Italy? From, from the north of Italy. They're, ah, they're, okay. they're from the Piedmont near Turin. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, my granddad was like a real Montagnard. He was he was fair hair and blue eyed, you know, Um uh, grandma, not so much. <laughs> she was more, more you know, typical, I guess you'd say. But um, but the thing is that Granddad was a chef. Um, uh, my uncle, who who lived in the house with them, he was a chef. My other uncle owned the Italian store in town, which was the only one at the time, you know. So again, there was sort of sacks of beans and coffee. The smell, I mean, one of the things I always mm. think about is the smell of coffee is my grandma's kitchen. Yes. Because um, she used to make this coffee, you know, she used to make it in a pan and she used to have this little wooden coffee grinder, you know. I mean, it just mm. the smells just come back and the, the, the feeling just comes back. Granddad used to keep in an allotment and he used to grow all his own stuff, you know. Again, you mean in terms of um, animals or not produce, animals? Or, no, mm -hmm. I mean they did have chickens. You know, Mum always used to sit, have to tell this apocryphal story of Grandma chasing the chicken around the yard. <laughs> it could have been the other way around. It you know, could, the chicken. Well, yeah, but not, no, nothing would dare chase Grandma. <laughs> uh -uh. No, 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 no. Oh, but um, but no, and they used to he used to grow all the, the kind of vegetables and things which mm. they couldn't necessarily find. In the stores, so um, so you grew up eating basil and smelling basil. Uh, you know, yeah. this was something very new in New York in the nineteen. I think the first time it was really here was like in the late seventies, early eighties. I mean, this was unusual then, but yeah. this was part of your your life. This was part of my life, you know. So there was this kind of, you know, and every Wednesday at home we'd have spaghetti. Mm. 
you know, which mum used to make, to, you know, and we, you know, we'd be at grandma's on Sunday. But there was also the mix of that and the utter Englishness of my dad's side, you know, the Baker, the Baker side, you know, they came from the north of England. And so it was the things like, you know, the hot pots, the cheese and onion pie, the sort of basic kind of very English mm. thing. So there's this kind of mix going on in, in, in my world. Of, which seemed perfectly normal to you. Which seemed perfectly normal to me, yeah. And, you know, going shopping with my mom uh, at that point, there's this set of stores in England called Sainsbury's, but at the time, oh, now they're famous. supermarkets. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you'd go in there and it was a bit like, you know, they, a bit like Harrods food, food Hall used to be. You'd go in there and there'd be the girl with the muslin over her hair cutting great pieces of cheese and cutting chunks of butter off, slicing bacon there and the kind of smell. So that you have those things going on. Or then going to the open market to buy fish, which was, you know, being by the sea was, you know, fresh local fish. And I still have this image of my, of my mother trying to kill this this place flopping about in the sink at home. You know, she wasn't as... She didn't place have, the she, fish. Yeah, yes. yeah. Place the fish. She wasn't... Didn't have quite grandma's sort of ruthlessness, I think, with, uh. with, the, with the machine where she managed, but... But this kind of thing, and so, but and it makes perfect sense. I mean, you this is in your in your DNA. This it's is in my part DNA, of your, in, yeah, of your childhood, and you saw this, and this was your education, and you embrace this, and no wonder you're such a fantastic, intuitive cook. <laughs> makes perfect sense. Not everyone grows up this way. No, no, but this is. I mean, you know, I, I I'm a lucky person, and I I honestly believe that. You know, in the sense that I had this kind of mixture of a background. It's only now looking back on it that. That, you know, when you start to look back at this thing, oh, my God, you know, what a life. What a life. Even with these uh, cancer diagnoses and some of That's... the difficulties, you feel like you've been really lucky. This is beautiful to hear. Very but special. But also, you know, things like cancer, sickness, all these things, it's just part of life In the at the end of the day. You know, I mean, it's not something, you know, yes, it's a life interrupted, if you like, but it, then it, it keeps going on. It's still part of what, what life is it interrupting? And exactly. And look what you've done with it. So, I mean, obviously there's from challenges, some extraordinary opportunities. And yeah. it's almost like you're, you dealt with fashion and color, but it's almost like your life became even more bountiful and colorful and with even more appreciation and gratitude, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've never... Since I started doing this, I've never really wanted to go back. I still have friends in the business, obviously. You know, I've been doing it too long not to have, you know, really good people. But the thing is that I have no wish to go back. Mm. You know, from the minute I decided not, you know, I wanted to do this, you know, standing there at that class, I never really wanted to go back. So from 2007, you started the germ of an idea to call, have an organization called Cook for Your Life. Yeah. Uh, tell us more about what it really does, how it's manifested. I know there's a website. I know you have 150,000 people every month coming oh, yeah. to look at your recipes and be part of this yeah. network. So, so tell us a little more about Cook for Your Life. Well, what I wanted to do was to, you know, from my own experience of, of how people were dealing with this was to try and start kind of a 101 cooking sort of situation for people. Um, I mean, you could, at first I used to joke that it was like the Be Kind to Kale organization <laughs> because, you know, I, what I really wanted was to, to give people a way to, to cook leafy greens, vegetables. You know, I'm not coming at it from a vegetarian, you know, um, or a vegan point of view, but more of a plant-based point of view. So you're ahead of the curve there. Yeah, I mean, but it's just eating lots of, you know, good stuff, really, but giving people the means to cook it and to make it easy so that people didn't have that impression that I did when I opened that cookbook and saw all that, that skipping rope, you know, list of recipes of ingredients that, you know, that it would be too hard to do. So it's it's really just, you know, back to basics in a sense. But also sophisticated because of your background. Right? Yes. You lived in France, Europe partly Italian, this beautiful English food. And I imagine you bring it all to your recipes and your style of cooking. Yeah. And that's one of the things, you know, that, that I'm, again, you know, have great, enormous gratitude for is, is, you know, the fact that my life has taken me, you know, to live in Paris. And when I was in Paris, I used to spend, you know, at least, at least four or five months of the year in Italy. So, you know, going to factories and, you know, eating this and just learning 
about food and seasonality, about, you know, it's just uh, kind of extraordinary, really. And I wanted to bring some of that into, you know, into into the cancer community, if you like, to not take this idea of sort of that healthy food is kind of dull, cardboardy, you know, restrictive. Are there any restrictions? And how do you uh, sort of summarize what uh, the best and optimal cancer diet would be? Um, well, a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. And by that, I mean, you know, sort of leafy greens, um, and like the non-starchy ones, and even some, you know, some, even the starchy ones are great. You know, like winter squashes, you know, and potatoes with peel on and this kind of thing, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and sort of not over-processing things. Whole grains, you know, brown rice, um, you know, quinoa, all these kinds of things. To, you know, and things Is it like, a reduction oh, also in, in meat or cheeses well, or are there yeah. things, and are there things that are actually for, forbidden or you don't even like to use that word? I don't like to use that word because I think uh, in in a sense – especially when you're actually going through uh, cancer treatment, the idea that certain things are forbidden to you, you know, that might make someone feel that they did something wrong. Mm. And I don't think any of us do anything wrong in this situation. Um, it's it's something that you can help prevent a recurrence. You can help prevent it happening, but you're never responsible. You never gave yourself. It's so important for it's, people to really feel it's that. It's important for people to feel that. And I, you know, and so... I didn't want any blame game, you know. And it's sad because I hear this sometimes. People talk to me and said, I did everything right. And yet I still, you know, got sick. And, I, and those always make me want to cry mm. because it's the idea that the person who said that really deprived themselves of certain pleasures of eating in order to not get sick. Yes. And that's not necessary, in my opinion. Excellent. So your food is really very happy food. It should be happy food. And yeah. rewarding. And, and it's rewarding, all about yeah. pleasure. It's all about pleasure, Great. which is why on the website we always have bright colors and things like that, because it really has to be happy because, you know, there's nothing wrong with eating well. <laughs> I mean, you know, so it's about eating whole foods, lots of vegetables and, you know, not cutting down on, obviously, there are some things that one to cut down on, you know, sort of a lot of the processed meats, you know, not too much red meat, this kind of thing. But really, to actually, the big, my big thing now is, is, is cutting up processed food, period, you know, to actually learn how to cook simple things so that you can make something quickly. You know, generally speaking, you know, sometimes I get tired and I come home and I think, oh, I don't want to cook tonight. Husband says, Oh, let's phone out. But then, no, I'll whip something up in the end because by the time it gets there, I could have made it anyway. So, Well, what are some of your – I want to talk about your fantastic cookbook called Cook for Your Life Cookbook, yep. which was nominated for James Beard Award and it also won a very important award in 2016 uh, called Books for Better Life Award. Oh, yes. For, and mean, you won for the best cookbook. For the best cookbook, yeah. And I was – that's a big it. deal. Must have been so exciting. Oh for yeah, you. no. All was, of this is manifesting so beautifully. Yeah. So, what are some of your go-to recipes? Well, especially for a quick dinner. Quick dinner, I'm, 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 I, it'll be pasta every time. I'm afraid. You know, it's because we eat a lot of whole wheat pasta in my house, not with the sauce out of the jar, because you know I'll put in um, you know greens. Uh, my favorite one that. It's called SGP in our house. It's SGP? SGP, sausage, okay, sausage greens pasta. And it's basically chicken, some chicken, like a piece of chicken sausage, kale, garlic, and maybe a little bit of tomato. It depends on how the mood takes me. And herbs. And that's it, just, you know, just with, with pasta. And it, you, it, olive it, oil. And olive oil. Buckets. Of course. <laughs> Not buckets, but a lot of olive oil. And a bit of Parmesan cheese. And that's sort of, and it really comes together quickly and it's really tasty and it sounds kind of, so wonderful. You know, so I this mean, isn't about calories. This isn't about anything except a, for fresh, unprocessed food yeah. and a little pasta. And a little pasta. <laughs> you know, and I understand that, you know, yeah, we should maybe cut down on the carbs a bit. But at the same time, you know, pasta gets a bad rap, I think, because it's a really, it is a fantastic quick dinner. Yeah, you I know? don't know why it gets a bad rap. I don't know. You know, well, I think I do know because uh, Americans have a tendency, like, if a little bit of something is good for you, they think a lot of it is better for you. And that only applies to kale, I think. Um, so because a normal portion of 
pasta in Italy is actually just a, a, it's small an appropriate size bowl full. It's not four or five ounces of dry pasta per person. It's no, two. No, it's two. <laughs> two yes, or three I, at I the mean, most. and I weigh it out every every time. You know, which makes my husband crazy, but uh, he doesn't <laughs> complain too much. But the thing is that yeah, two ounces is plenty, and then if you put lots of vegetables, you end up with kind of a full plate, and it's nothing. You, you bulk know, it up. You bulk it up, but you bulk it up with good stuff. Wonderful. And of course, there are uh, herbs and the allium family, onions and garlic, and oh, yeah. that are really naturally good for you. Yes. And, and the thing is that one of the things, I love food as medicine because it is, but I don't like the idea of people dosing themselves with food. Tell me more about that. That's fascinating. Because you should just be eating and enjoying. Say like alliums, you know, the, like garlic. I've, I've used that, well, since I can't remember when I've started to use that. And onions, you know, to me, it's just something that you, you know, you have, yes. you just do it. And the fact that they happen to be good for you is great. Maybe there's no coincidence there, Anne, right? Maybe no. this is all this part is, of the great is, design of, of, I, I of the world. Think this, I often think this about food in general, that actually, yes, it is the great big design of things, that things end up getting used a lot because they have properties beyond the flavor that over the you know millennia, people have kind come to recognize and and use, and they're universal. So and I really universal. think there is something so so right about that. And what is your idea about kind of listening to your body, like really paying close attention to maybe what your body needs or is craving at, at any time? Does that I think figure I, into what I think, you do? I think that figures into it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say that if you are eating a diet of of cookies and <laughs> processed food, you're probably going to crave a lot of sugar. Um, you know, and what happens is as you start to cut down on some of those things, you your body really does start to crave other things. And I know that when I go away, I can't wait to get home and eat my own food, which might seem kind of strange, but I don't, I don't think so because I just want, I need to get back to some kind of normal again with it. I understand completely. I have an expression that goes something like that, but it's time to come home and smell your own coffee. <laughs> yeah, no, it's exactly that. And, you know, and because again, it comes back to this thing I was talking about earlier on. It's about control of, of what you have in the food and everything. And, you know, I know what I'm eating. Wonderful. So in the cookbook, you have how many recipes? Um, there are about a hundred and, and um, most of them are not on the site. They, they, they're just unique to the cookbook. And, and tell me how this site works. So uh, oh. it is primarily the organization is really the website that people, millions of people, I understand, use, use. it. Yeah, they do. Millions. And, and, and the thing is that, yeah, I mean, it blows my mind. And it's free. And this is what I want to get back to what I said about your extraordinary generosity and philanthropy. But you found a way to make this information and these recipes available to millions of people for free. And the recipes are in English and also Spanish. Yeah. This is fantastic. Well, when I first started doing the classes, I realized sort of quickly, you know, I was expecting because they were free classes, I'd always, by the way, to your point, wanted this to be free of charge because, you know, when people are going through cancer, there's an awful lot of additional expenses or, you know, you lose earning power, all of this kind of things, which are not going to make you run to buy, you know, a $100 cooking class. So I wanted this to be free to make it easy for people to have access to. And I, I thought that I would get all different kinds of people, but I didn't. I just got a bunch of people who looked like me. Mm. And I started to really wonder about this. And then I was doing a class with um, Cancer Care and these Spanish ladies came. I didn't speak any English. How's your um, Spanish? Well, my Spanish is kind of rudimentary, you know, from, you know, it's it's sort of high school. And what I know has gotten completely kind of bulldozed out by speaking Italian. So it's, you know, I I can hear it, I can understand it, but nothing, you know, nothing comes out right. They all laugh at me. (laughs) I was saying that might make for very interesting recipes. (laughs) Well, very interesting. But the thing is that what's so great, these ladies were interested I could tell that they were really curious about this, but I also realized that what we were making really had very little to do with them. Mm. Mm. So I started to do some, uh, you know, by this time I kind of got some network going in in, in the hospitals and I, I started to talk to one of the patient navigators and we sat down with a, a Hispanic patient navigator and we started to talk. Because I really wanted to do something for them, you know, because having lived in a foreign language for, for years, I know that, you know, there are certain things about home. I know I know that you can feel isolated, that the 
you know you're at slight always slightly outside the the you know the uh culture of the, the country that you're in if you like yes you're you know because you don't have the same references from your your childhood and stuff like that. any blah 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 but it's it, the thing is that I I kind of understood you know on a personal level that it's not easy to assimilate so even if you speak perfect whatever because there are certain areas which are always going to be different so anyway and the familiarity story. of food and comfort food and yes. as you say the smells and the taste i mean take us back to a very important place in our lives they right? do very and, nourishing and, and you know and so you can't present someone with a completely different set of criteria when they they're craving emotionally something different so i started to look at what traditional foods were start to talk and to put together a plan you know curriculum to help hispanic women to eat better. And, and were all of these women also cancer survivors? Or yes. At this point, yeah. oh, okay. Always, always, always in the cancer community right okay. now. And it was interesting because I, I actually got some funding from Aetna for it, to do it through um, a friend of mine who was at that time the, the uh, executive director of Team Continuum. Anyway, I put these together and it was kind of fantastic because, you know, we were working with traditional recipes, but we changed things up to make them healthier but kept the same spices and the same herbs and everything. And, you know, we just tried to make it healthier. And we, you know, worked this thing out where we would take people gradually to eating less meat and, you know, and eat back to eating vegetables. And it's interesting because all of these ladies really knew how to cook. They all knew what was kind of good in a sense. But it was about trying different things. It was about trying different things and then making them taste familiar. I love cookbooks. At the moment, I'm I'm really into. Um, it's not it's not a brand new cookbook. It's um, my my uh, Mexico City Kitchen. I just love that book because it's it's full of like really simple things, and you know me, I love simple things. Wonderful, you know. When we come back, and I want to hear about phase two of Cook for Your Life and what's meaningful to you right now. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. So to recap again, so everyone really understands the full extent of what this amazing organization Cook for Your Life does. It's a series of cooking classes given all over the country. It's a website and it's led to research. Yes, it has. I mean... Our cooking uh, classes have been pretty much, um, you know, on the eastern seaboard, you know, in the tri-state area, Philadelphia. We've done some things there. And now there'll be some in Seattle, in, in, in Washington state. But yeah, this has led to research because the Spanish programs I was telling you about, they piqued the interest of a researcher at Columbia University. She was looking for people teaching in Spanish and there was nobody this is for breast cancer patients. It was just me. And we got together and, you know, we talked on the phone for like an hour and a half. And then she went off to have her second child and came back. And then we talked some more. We started to put uh, grant things together. And um, we eventually got funding from the National Institutes of Health to do um, a small study. And that has had really great results and we got a second grant to do a much bigger study from from the National Institutes of Health. So that's that's kind of great. That just finished actually in October last year. How rewarding that must be oh, for you. It's no I mean it's fantastic to to kind of know that what I worked out, you know, as a way to teach actually works. Is there another cookbook in the works? And what's what's phase two? Well, um, I'm starting another cookbook. I'm on. I'm working on another cookbook right now because honestly, it's been after I did the other one. It was. It, it's been kind of crazy. So I won't go into all of how how the craziness evolved, but it's, you know, it's it really has its. You know, it's, it's been a really crazy couple of years. So now I've got some space to start thinking about, uh, you know, doing more creative things again. So. Do you have a legacy recipe? What recipe do you want to be known for? <laughs> well, 
I mean, I love the idea of, I've been thinking, this has been driving me crazy pretty much all day because thinking about this. But at the end of the day, I think what the recipe that really is important to me is the one that almost is the one that my mother taught me, Mm. (laughs) the one that my grandmother used to make, you know, um, which is a soup. It's basically uh, a minestrone soup, which which my grandma used to make with, you know, beans from her allotment and vegetables from her allotment. And we, as kids, used to call it jungle soup. <laughs> oh, great and, name. you know, it's one of the things that I've, I've made since I was a teenager. And in a sense, whenever I think about it, it informs almost everything I do in as much that it's all vegetables, it's healthy, it's comforting, it's really tasty. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> and 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 it kind of epitomizes how I feel about food. It should be lots of good things, not difficult to make, taste good. Such a beautiful metaphor. Uh, is it uh, chicken stock based or just based on the vegetables and garlic and onions are our favorite? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's tons of gar- garlic and onions, carrots, celery, cabbage, lots of cabbage, potato. Uh, tomato, of course. And when you think about that, you know, you've got the lycopene for the tomato, you've got all of the, the various sort of antioxidant qualities in the cabbage and, you know, the, it's a brassica and all of this. We've got this fantastic array of of healing vegetables in a soup. And what herb might be in there? Oh, uh, well, two, rosemary uh, or? Actually, I put bay leaf in right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then what I usually do now that when my mum taught me to make make it, she would put dried basil in at the beginning, but I don't do that anymore. And what I do is I tend to put chopped fresh basil in at the end, or um, I'll make kind of like, it's not a real pesto. It's kind of like a, I call it chopping board pesto. I'll just, I'll just <laughs> chop up some basil with a bit of salt and some olive oil, and then I'll just throw that in. And any cheese at the end? Just yeah. Minestrone. Well, actually, I, I do actually put, if I, I keep all of my Parmesan cheese heels, because I always put those in the soup to give it flavor. And actually, I used to use chicken stock, but now I just use water because in the end of the day, there's enough going in there. Also, I forget, you know, the beans, those cranberry beans. When I first saw those at the farmer's market, my heart leapt. I thought, oh, my God, there's the grandma's beans. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Your names for things are so wonderful. Jungle soup and chopping board pesto and grandma's beans. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, well, I think that's what makes people turn to certain recipes, actually, is a, is an intriguing or delightful name. I know. And it piques your interest. I know. Um, um, Jungle Soup, it's my my personal name. It's not called that on the site, but... Um, <laughs> but now we know. But now you know. And and how long does that soup take to cook? Actually, not long at all. That's the other ah. thing about it. I think I can usually have it, you know, ready start to finish in about an hour. So, you know, mind you, I have knife skills, so that, that it, you know, things get chopped up easier. But it's one of those things that once it, it once it's cooked, it's, it's really, you know, it's done and you can just have it straight away. And sometimes if I've if I've got one going, I, I'll put some, maybe some fresh cabbage in, just for you know twenty texture, minutes when I heat it at the end. Yeah, when I yeah. heat it through. So beautiful! But I can't wait to make this. It's it's really easy. Ah, uh, sounds great and very very healthy. And what does one woman kitchen mean to you? It means it's my my home place. I think you know it's where I feel uh, you know it's a place I like to be. Quite honestly, you know, I, I like to potter around and, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to kind of get back to it, if you like, uh, at the moment. Um, always during this time, I always take time for myself over the holidays. And it's just always nice just to be in there and just mess around, play a bit, make something, I ha- I make something new, make a lot of, you know, it's, it's just play. It's my play space, I think. It's your play space. Yeah. And it sounds like it's really where you're the most at home. It's where I really like to be. And the other thing about it, too, is that, you know, sometimes it's great. At one point, I've never cooked in a restaurant, you know, which I have so much respect for restaurant chefs. I don't know how the hell they do it. But either did Julia Child, right? And so she was a great food person and cookbook author and a real, you know, food scholar, as as are you. But one of the things I loved to do when I was doing the Zen practice, I used to work in the kitchen. At a certain point after the breast cancer, I couldn't actually sit anymore because my I, my joints had gotten kind of 
creaky. And so I was in the kitchen and I loved that because that was then you're cooking, uh, you know, to a timetable for 50 people, you know, three squares a day, basically. So you did start to work in a restaurant. So that's the only only time I've ever done it. The only time. Yeah. And this would just be at times during retreats. And I'd be like the the sous chef under the monk that was in charge. But I loved doing that because it was like giving to people. So beautiful. Thank you so much. And what's the most meaningful to you right now coming up this new year? I think it's um, coming into another period of change. And I think, I'll be honest to you, uh, to me, it's, it's a time of making space again. When I got my cancer diagnosis, it gave me a moment to make space for other things to come in. And I, I'm in that sort of mode now where it's time to make space to kind of see what's next. And it's a time, it sounds like, that by nourishing yourself, you really get to nourish others. And that's what you're all about. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. It's just I know that it, it's in a period of change. And I'm pulling back from Cook for Your Life on the day-to-day to be more, to do more creative things for it. But at the same time, you know, it's going to change. So I have to kind of think about what's next for me, I guess. It sounds like a very exciting year ahead. <laughs> it is. I mean, no, I, it's, it, it's going to be good. And I just love the idea that it is all about to change again. I, I can't really put my finger on it, but that's it. So you are a one-woman kitchen, if there ever was one. And thank you so much, Anne, for being here today with me. And I know so many people will want to be in touch uh, with you and to get the extraordinary recipes on and information on Cook for Your Life. So how do people get in touch with you? Well, um, you can follow us on Instagram, um, which is Cook for Your Life. You can go to the website, which is cookforyourlife.org. We're on Facebook as well. Um, and if you want to see what I'm doing, you can go to my website, which is um, anogdengaffney.com. So you'll see what's going on there. But we're everywhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> the secret to your success. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for joining me and Anne on One Woman Kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold. And now you have my heart. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. And if you're wondering about my beautiful theme music, it's called The Garden, written and performed by award-winning singer-songwriter Audrey Appleby. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.